morning, church. Man, do you feel like you've been at church already today? Golly. Man. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. That's where we'll be today, Luke 2, 4 through 7. Um, as we do that, I want to let you know today, if, if you're a part of our church family, you know that, again, the end of, uh, of November, our staff got away for a week and prayer and fasting and in preparation for what God has in store for us and just how do we help um, steward what God has given us in his body of Christ and the flock of uh, his, uh, that's Parkway. And so uh, today I want to kind of give you the last teaser. This will actually set up where we're going in the month of January as we begin a few things. We've talked about how we're going to be walking through this idea that we're to be rooted in Christ and we're getting some things together. And I I'm so excited about our family devotional. I can't even tell you, y'all. Even if you don't have children at home, we'll have, we'll have those available in a couple of weeks. I encourage you to pack pick them up some of our church leaders students and children's have helped illustrate the first quarters um, stuff and so it's exciting to see all that come together um, then last week we really looked at this idea that we need a plan from birth until uh, a, a young man and woman leave our student ministry to say what does it look like to help them grow alongside their parents and their homes and then today is the last thing and up on the screen you'll see a little video of this happening uh, this was actually what caught us off guard the first day is we have our mission of our church and that's to be a community of faith that glorifies God through embracing his word impacting our circles with the gospel and empowering others and we have this idea and this picture of this cycle or this spiral of share of of knowing what it's like to be connected of knowing this idea that we're growing into servants and one day we're called to make disciples who make disciples and that this is a lifelong journey and we landed on a, a, a visual you just saw on the screen, this circle to where after just an incredible time together, we said, what would it look like if we pushed those two things together and made it very easy so that anyone in the church, anyone from, from child all the way up to adult could come together and say, what does discipleship making look like at Parkway? And so we came together and we said, we created what we've called the Parkway Circle. We couldn't think of a P, like Parkway Periwinkle is a color. So if you think, you know, peripheral, I didn't know. So Parkway Circle um, that we'll be really walking through because we want anyone and everyone to be able to know this is how we approach discipleship and it's simple and I can do it and I can help my child do that. I can explain it to my friend who's never been in a church or I can use it to help me know, God, keep me accountable to grow in you. So we're really excited about what next year looks like as we begin uh, those things. Today, we're gonna continue our story of this idea of Christmas that didn't go like it should have gone. And uh, when I was getting ready for this week's uh, passage, and I have to tell on myself a little bit, I spilled into this passage last week a little bit and found myself in a little bit of, of a pickle. So this is what I started doing this week on, on Monday morning. I just started doing a Bible study over this passage of Scripture. And about an hour and a half in, I found myself asking a question um, that I've asked before, and that's what's so special about Bethlehem? And, and as I chased that rabbit all week long, over and over and over again, pages upon pages were falling out. And I thought, man, what an awesome thing to share the journey God took me on and see if he takes you on a similar journey or as you investigate scripture, this one or another one, God leads you through questions and understanding on your own 
by his spirit so that you can let the word just breathe life into you a little bit. Um, it, it starts off with this idea. We are familiar with Bethlehem and its significance, but, but I want to let you know, I have an Aggie ring. Um, if you're an Aggie in here, you can whoop. Whoop, thank you guys. If you're not, that's okay. Jesus loves you too and died for you to make you perfect. But, but, um, for years, I didn't have an, an, a ring, an, an Aggie ring. Um, I got luggage instead when I graduated A&M because I thought that made sense. Not sure it did. Um, but about a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, I was surprised walking into my house one day that a friend had gotten together with some others and decided to bless me um, with an Aggie ring. Uh, and it was, a, it was kind of one of those moments because I never dreamed. The further you get, kind of like car prices and house prices, everything's going up, amen? And uh, once you're an alumni of a and when they're a student, they're like, oh, let's make this easier for you. Once they're an alumni, they call you and tell you how good they're doing and ask you for money all the time, right? And so when you get an Aggie ring, I told Christy, I don't know if I could ever justify that. And so it was just such a blessing. And, and, and I've seen people with Aggie rings uh, all over the place. I know the story and the significance behind having one. But I want to tell you something. This ring is important to me, not because it marks where I graduated from. What gives it its real significance was the story in the hearts of the men and women who, who decided to bless me and just to show me that they loved me. Um, it, it could have been a paper ring, quite honestly, and the significance wouldn't be different. Have you ever had something in your life like that? Like when people see it, they think it's important, but you know it's really and really important. Maybe it's that table in your living room that everybody says, oh, that's nice. It's solid oak that's really heavy. And you know it's my great-great-grandfather's table. And it's been passed and shared and loved on throughout generations. Some people see the significance on the outside, but you know on the inside that it has deeper significance. Maybe it's your way your refrigerator is decorated. Maybe they love the stainless steel or the glass or the white or whatever. But that's not why you like your refrigerator. You like it because there's a thousand drawings on the front of your refrigerator from your child through the years. Some in color some you know what they are others you had to ask in a nice way creatively we have all these things that we don't know why they they would mean something to someone else but the significance is known to us because there's this investment that's behind it that makes it more valuable to you do you have things like that christmas traditions and things like that when I think of Bethlehem, that's what I think of. Read with me in your Bible, Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 4 through 7, and uh, I'll end my workout. My watch is telling me I'm working out. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, and registered to be registered with Mary, uh, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. In the end. Now, here's why we know Bethlehem is important. We live on the other side of the cross and the resurrection. We are living in, in the blessing of days. 
And so we know that Bethlehem is important because God sent his only son that you and I wouldn't have to perish, but we could have eternal life. And he chose to, in this incredible way, send his son who had the fullness of his deity and therefore the complete ability to reconcile what you and I had broken willingly. Like that, that's this amazing picture. Like if you and I were to think about why is Bethlehem important, that's why it's important. That's why it means something to us today. But that wasn't where I started my journaling. I thought, why was Bethlehem important? Well, you might look to, to Micah chapter two, chapter five, verse two. And this prophecy that was given that says this, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrath, who are little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth the one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from the ancient of days. You see, well, that's why God chose Bethlehem. Now, here's the problem. God spoke that prophecy through the prophet Micah, therefore giving Bethlehem in, in, in significance. Therefore, that didn't solve my problem. Why did God choose Bethlehem? So I started researching. I just, in my Bible, on my computer, I'm just like, I want to know everywhere Bethlehem is in the Bible. I'm starting to look through it all. And so I'm like, what are hot things? What are like things that make you and I think Bethlehem could be the place? So here's the hot things, the hot take from the Bible from Bethlehem. The matriarch Rachel was buried there. All right. A Levite who served as a priest in an idolatrous shrine and his, his concubine, they were from Bethlehem, right? We're not doing good, right? These aren't, these aren't things that make you pick the Bethlehem. Here, here it gets a little bit better. The story of Ruth, right? Boaz and God redeeming her story. That's Bethlehem, all right. God blessed a young widow. And then finally, David the king was from Bethlehem. We think, okay, well, that, that's the best one we could get, right? Like, note to self, if I were to tell you, um, I want to invite you to move to Pearland, and you're to say, tell me about Pearland. Well, we've got some adulterous pastors and concubines that live in the area, and um, man, we... we we did have a president come once upon a time from Pearland and um, safe. Well, let's not talk about if it's safe or not. Let's just talk about, you know, some famous people are buried here. Would that make you say, oh, I want to move to Pearland? Not at all. And so I just started thinking, like, if that's not enough to convince me that Bethlehem is significant, maybe that's not why God chose it. So then I started looking at the, the word Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. Then I thought, well, this is better. Jesus is the what? The bread of life. Well, then that's it. There's a problem with that, right? That feels like a stretch to preach on a little bit, doesn't it? Like there's the city called house of bread that one day God would send his only son to who's the bread of life. Get it? It doesn't hold water, does it? It's It's insufficient. So then I wrote down these words. 
There is no good earthly reason for Bethlehem to be significant. There's no reason. Like when I, when I look through the pages of scripture, th- there were better cities for the Messiah to come from. Jerusalem, right? There were kingdoms all over the earth. There were grand places. There were safer places. There were richer places. There were more important places because great things had been done there. There were a lot of better choices. If, if we as people were trying to present our cities before God for the birthplace of his son, Bethlehem is a loser. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make up. And so after I wrote those words, I wrote this. What if that was the point? What if the whole point of God sending his son, the fullness of the deity dwelt in him for the reconciliation of all things through him? The whole point was God saying, I'm going to pick a place that has nothing to bring to me. I initially started to say, well, that starts to reek of scripture, doesn't it? Do you know the story of Gideon? Gideon in the book of Judges? There's an army about to attack the Moabites and Gideon's raised up and he's got a way smaller army, but it's still thousands of men. And over time, God whittles it down, whittles it down, whittles it down, whittles it down where a few hundred guys are taking on an army of hundreds of thousands. God says, I just want to let you know it was me, not you that did this. How about in the Bible where uh, Egypt is now making slaves of God's people and he raises up a, a prince who's a coward to go and talk. Now, Moses wasn't such a great order that he convinced Pharaoh to let everybody go. God did it in a way that really only he could get the glory, where no one else could get the glory. And so as I started to think through that, I just started to realize it really lines up with scripture that God picked Bethlehem because of nothing it could give. So I wrote down three questions. So then if that's true, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me that I need to know and learn from God? And what do I need to do in light of it? So that's where we're gonna go. What does it teach me about God? Well, when I, when I go through all of the pages of scripture and I look at Bethlehem, I have to say this, that God is a value adder. Now, if you type in value adder in scripture, you don't really see that terminology there very much. You won't like, where's the verse that says God is a value adder? But that's what he did to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was insignificant. Micah chapter five, verse two, he said, God's own mouth said, you who are lowly, you're basically insignificant. I'm going to make you something. I'm going to make you important. So I started to look at that and think, how is God the value adder? Is that true? Is there every situation that God is a value adder? Does he always bring value to it? Or is there any situation where God takes away value by his presence? Well, search your, your mind and your, your thoughts in this one. Go through the stories and the pages of scripture in your mind. I started to write down this. Ruth, Ruth and Naomi, her mom, 
they went away they moved out of God's territory husbands died nobody has kids Naomi comes back her life is worthless and meaningless and through Ruth and the gift of Boaz God adds value to her life again and her name means something different at the beginning than the at the end the beginning I started to think a little bit more about that like David we know him as a king but David was the runt of the litter if any of Jesse's sons were going to die and it not matter a lot it's King David because the family wasn't banking on him they were never putting their hope in him but God took this young man from the fields and he added value to him Speaking of fields, think of the shepherds. If you read your Bible a little bit further in verse eight and below, these shepherds, they're unclean. They didn't have a chance to wash up. They're nobodies. And what does God do? He, he lets them be the first to cheer on Mary, Joseph, and to see the king of kings. Even Adam and Eve, even in their sin, was it not the value that God brought into the garden that demanded their sin to be exposed? Can you think of a passage in Scripture where God's presence doesn't add worth? I'll tell you, as I turned the pages, and this was my first thing, there never is. Today we're having an open house at, at our house. Um, and we're, we're doing it because Christine and my family have traditions that we've taken on and she's gonna bake goodies and they're all over the place and it makes us happy and those memories are good, happy memories for us. Um, but I'll tell you another memory of my grandmother's house. Um, at my grandmother's house at the kids table, do y'all have a kids table at your house? You never grow up enough to get to the kids table. But she had a bottle of liquid sweetener I'm talking back in the 80s liquid sweetener. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you had this? Let me tell you what, I have not seen a sweetener invented yet that's as sweet as whatever was on her. It was artificial for sure. But do you know, if you open that up and put it in tea, it made it sweet. If you got crazy and you put it on black eyed peas, it made them sweet. Everything it touched, it made sweet. And I thought, Lord, what if you chose Bethlehem only so that you could say, everything I touch, I make sweet? If that's true, then scripture comes alive in James chapter 1, verse 17. James says this, for every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And here's the thing, there's no variation or shifting shadow due to change in him. If Bethlehem was chosen by God for no good reason other than his desire to add worth where he wanted to add worth, then it starts to see that every word, every promise that's written about Jesus, about God, is true. That his character is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God is the value adder, what does that mean for you and me? I tried to scribble down what I thought because if he is so good and of a measurable worth then he's not looking for value adders have you ever thought about that 
if it's true that God is good and every good and perfect gift comes from him, if it's true that he adds value to any and everything he comes to, then the opposite has to be looked at as well. There's nothing that adds worth to our king. He is worthy of it all. In church, when I look at this idea of Mary and Joseph coming into Bethlehem because he was of the house of David, it wasn't that Joseph was coming into town and saying, I'm part of the Davidic family. Everybody there probably had a great, 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 great grandfather together. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, you just have to ask some of our young children. We all have some common relatives. Noah, Adam, Eve, right? We, we kind of have these things in common. So him being of the house of David, verse four, to be registered, everybody had to be registered. They weren't bringing something special in and of themselves to it. They weren't adding value to him. So if God isn't looking for value adders, what does he have to teach you and I from this passage? The playing field is level. The playing field is level. Because if I can't add anything to God and you can't add anything to God, it doesn't matter if you are the child of a preacher or a prisoner. It doesn't matter if you have a history of good deeds or of death and destruction. It doesn't matter if you have a life that has known addiction and slavery or if everything has come easy to you because you both have the same thing to bring to the king. And that thought, church, is both beautiful and humbling, isn't it? If I don't have anything to add to him, then you can come to him just as you are. But when you come to him just as you are, guess what's gonna happen? He's gonna add value to you. The story that Jesus tells of the man who tried to clean up his life, he had a demon in him. And the demon went away on a vacation. I gotta love Jesus' parables, right? The demon left to go roam around. And so the man, through good deeds, wanted to clean his life up. And when he was done cleaning his life up, the Bible says the demon returned. And guess what he found? Room for roommates. And the man's condition was worse than it was at the beginning. Because we aren't value adders. And so you and I aren't called to clean up our life before God blesses it. Think about Bethlehem. I encourage you, thumb through the pages of scripture and hear all of the awesome changes that happened to that town because David was born there. And guess what you'll find? Nothing. It didn't change. And God chose to change it anyway. Look at who Jesus invited to be his disciple. A tax collector fishermen who didn't live up to the standard to go further a woman caught in adultery 
Just think of the list. Church, because he doesn't need anything for you and me, maybe the biggest blessing of, of, of Bethlehem is that I am reminded that Jesus has called me to him just as I am. And in that, he will not leave me the same. When Mary and Joseph came in the town, they didn't have something to bring to him, but he had something to give back to them. Isaiah chapter 61, verse three says it like this. If you read all, starting in verse 51, verse one, this is all about Jesus. Verse three, to grant those who mourn, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. We bring ashes he brings beauty. We bring weakness. He brings strength. It, you won't find the pages of Scripture that says if you come and press God with what you can bring to the table, you'll get a blessing back greater than you've ever thought. Because it's not in there. And if you look at the life of Jesus, it doesn't exist. Often I think you and I find ourselves looking at Bethlehem and thinking, I want to be special too. And like a child at, a, at an event, we find ourselves dancing in the aisles because we don't want everybody to look at the stage. We want them to look at who? Me. Look at me. I mean, I've told you before, we had a lapse in judgment when Connor was three we brought him into church, front row. Christy was tied up. I was tied up. What does a three-year-old think when everybody's looking at dad? I want everybody to look at me too. He's rolling on the floor. How many times do you and I think, I just need to do something good enough to make Jesus look at me? How many times have you gone to bed and Maybe ashamed to pray because you don't have anything to bring. I mean, the, the wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But what do we have to bring? And Jesus says, you. John the Baptist would say, he must increase and you must decrease. So the more you come to him empty-handed, open-armed and saying, Lord, what do you want? The better it is. Because Jesus is not some scavenger seeking broken parts from broken people to make himself a better king. Church, when we say, God, I don't have anything to add to you, then we are confessing a truth that he wants us to know. So what if Bethlehem wasn't important and there was no reason he picked it? Well, then he's calling me to something. See, there must be a truth that I need to act on. If, if when I walk into the throne of God, I see nothing that makes me live up to his standard. What do I have to give? worship 
worship. That's what we're supposed to bring to God. If you look into the story a little bit further, there's no room for them in the end. But what do the angels do in verse 14? Glory to God. They worship him. Look at verse 20. What do the shepherds leave? They return doing what? Glorifying God and praising him over and over and over again. We see that when God, the value adder, brings before those who can't add anything back to him, that all we can do is worship him and to receive that. And the world doesn't want that. Even sometimes ourself doesn't want that because that means that there has to be this beautiful, humble submissiveness. And submissiveness is not a currency in our world. Our world wants to know who's responsible to be praised for doing something good and who needs to be held accountable for doing something wrong. Amen? Right? Somebody wants to know that. And we're gonna be quick to find it out because a lot of times what that does is we just excuse ourselves. But when the king of kings said, I add value to everything and you don't add value to me at all, then what he's saying is, it's all broken. If you look in the mirror and don't find fault today, you'll find it tomorrow. I think that's one of the reasons Jesus says, remember, with the same stick you measure other people by, you'll be measured. Because he knows that we can't get caught up in a pride of brokenness. And so all we have to bring to him is worship. Paul would say this in Romans chapter 12. He would say, to live in this way is your spiritual act of worship, knowing God's will, just following him. Church, have you ever thought about Bethlehem as being a lot like you? Here's the difference. Bethlehem was insignificant and God made it important and it had no way to react. It's just a place. But you are an image bearer of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He set you apart different than all creation. He sent his only son to live and die and rise again so that you could be right with him. How much more value does he have in store for you than a little town called Bethlehem? That day when she gave birth to her firstborn and lapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, who do you think rejoiced more, Mary or the rocks? Who do you think sang out the praises of that relationship more, Joseph or the sheep? Now, cartoons today might make you think it's up for grabs. But it's not a competition. And we know so by the, own, the same words of Jesus, our Lord. When he's walking in that triumphal entry and the Pharisees stop him and say, hey, this is rough. You gotta stop these people from praising you. Jesus says, if they stops, then what will happen? The rocks will cry out. I'm gonna infer something. Rocks were not crying out yet. Amen? 
because God chose to bless the people. So the question for you and I is, this Christmas, how does God making an insignificant place make your life more significant? Because when you come to him realizing that he is the value adder and that you have nothing to bring, it will change who you are. I penned these words at the end of the week in my journal. We are made for a relationship with the value adder. Not because he needs me. Not because he was lonely. Not because of what we would bring to the table simply because it was his desire to add value to men and women that was unique from all other creation. How great is the one who does this, who makes the unlovable lovable by his presence alone, who gives life and worth where it isn't due, who offers by the way of his own son wholeness and righteousness and life abundantly to someone who brings nothing to the table. that is the one I will worship all the days of my life because if he will do that for Bethlehem how much more does he have in store for those who he calls who he loves who he's made new Paul to the Corinthian church would write these words in 1 Corinthians church consider your calling brothers not many of you were wise according to the world's standards there's a compliment not many were powerful not many were noble in your birth but God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose the weak to shame the strong God chose what was low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being, not a single soul who's ever been or ever will be, might boast in the presence of God. And in my words would be that they have something to add to him. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Do you see what he did there? So consider your calling. But he chose you to share the gospel the power for salvation for all who would believe. Because you were lowly, weak, and not as smart as the guy next to you. Or, or maybe you were. Because it was never about you that made him pick you. He just wanted to add meaning purpose and rightness to your life so what do we do verse 31 so as it is written let the one 
who boasts, boast in the Lord. Brag songs of worship to your king. Hallelujah. Holy, holy, holy. There is no one like our God. I don't know how you came in, maybe full of pride or empty and just barely making it in. It doesn't matter. Because if you will open your eyes to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you will realize that you are just as broken and have nothing to bring. You're just like Joseph wiping out a dirty place to do your best. But God has something to give to you. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, then I want you to know you're missing out and you will keep missing out. Because no matter how hard you try, you'll always end back where you started, broken. That would have been Bethlehem's story. Something good happens, Rachel was buried there. Something bad happened, Levite and his concubine serve unfaithfully. Something good happened, Ruth and them were there. Something bad happened, war broke out. Something good happened, it just cycled. Until what? Until Jesus changed it all. Because that's what he does. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Father God, we come to you this morning realizing maybe some in this room for the first time that our life is not about impressing you, it's about following you. That our obedience isn't about winning favor, it's a reaction to the worth that all of a sudden has been placed upon us. Father, that the changes in us aren't us just trying to put lipstick on this life that is a pig. But instead, God, it's you making a headdress of ashes and sorrow into something beautiful. So, Father, if there's a person in here that doesn't know that gift, would you let them see you through Bethlehem, the place you chose for no good reason to allow your son to make his first hello in history's timeline. Father, for those in this room who have just wondered, God, what's your plan for me? How could you use me? Father God, would you just allow your spirit to minister to them? Lord, to know that it's not what they bring, but what they take away from the table. So Lord, let us come anew, submitted with arms open wide, saying, Jesus, Whatever you have for me, it's going to be better than what I thought I was bringing to you. And let that be the reason we boast. And let us boast in that alone. In Jesus' name, amen.